but he says it disagrees with New Covenant theologies and progressive covenantalism regarding the timing. So we both believe that the community will be made perfect, absolutely perfect, as Jeremiah 31 promises, but we differ on when this is true. And as he goes on to say, which indicates that the New Covenant community will only realize Jeremiah 31's promised ideal in the new heaven and new earth. Welcome to the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast featuring Peter Bell and Nick Fulweiler. This is a show about Christian doctrine for everyone from the historic Reformed tradition, delivered by two friends in an unscripted dialogue. Join us as we discuss how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Real quick, before we begin this episode, listen to the end for updates on our Santa Ana Reformed Church Plant efforts and our upcoming Bible study on the Book of Judges. Hello, everyone. Yet once again, it's another day of fresh grace and mercy. This is the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast, where we bridge the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. And this is a Promises and Fulfillments episode. We're on season three. This is episode 25, New Covenant Theologies. It's actually chapter 26 in the book, Covenant Theology book published by Crossway. It's written by Scott Swain, and we're going to go through this chapter here in a moment, New Covenant Theologies, and it's within part three of the book. So we're almost done with season three. So we have a couple more episodes after this. But uh, before we get into this conversation with Peter and I, just as a reminder on a few show notes links, there is the Society of Reformed Podcasters. We are a member of this group. There is a, uh, it's a collection of other reform podcasts out there. So if you enjoy our doctrines and our content, you'll probably enjoy those other shows as well. And there's also a link to Crossway. So this is the publisher that created the book Covenant Theologies and it is Covenant Theology and it is written by Reformed Theological Seminary faculty. So they're the publisher of this book that we've done the entire season three for. So click that link, purchase this book for yourself, follow along episode per chapter. Uh, And there's also other great books in Crossway that we've done uh, throughout our, our show as well. So there's also a local church finder link that you can find. We want you guys to find a reformed church uh, near you. So you just type in your zip code and it will pull up the closest URC, OPC, PCA, or other reformed church near you that you can uh, make a visit and hopefully become a member of. So uh, without further ado, we'll jump into this episode. How you doing, Peter? Doing good. Yeah, we have a we have a special episode this this week because this is this is done on a Saturday morning. So when your when your kids are watching cartoons when they get out of bed in the morning, when you guys are waking up, you you guys can think about us waking up early for you doing this episode. But I'm doing good. It's it's a good morning. Got nine hours of sleep. Um, yeah, it's it's a good day, and I'm done with my semester. So that's also nice. good. Nice, nice. So I just have yeah, finals I mean- coming up, but. Um, 
yeah, done with classes, done with papers. So it's finals, but it's kind of an easier, easier time for my, and I, you just moved into your house. So all, all your hard work is hopefully done too. So we're both kind of at the end of a, of a, of a rough stretch of, of a couple of weeks. Yeah. We typically don't record on Saturday mornings, but we knew we had to get this one uh, done to be stay on schedule. And uh, this is the, I just woke up my first morning in our new house. That's right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's been a, anybody that's renovated a house knows that like, just how easy it's, it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It turned into, a, it turned into legitimately another full-time job that yeah. I didn't have time for. So uh, it, everything gets crazier and busier right to the last moment. Um, and we were doing that plus moving in and, uh, you know, working around our toddler schedule. So yep. we, we stayed on track though. It's, um, by the grace of God, literally we're getting this stuff done. So <laughs> yeah. it's, yep. it's fun stuff. Yeah. Heck yeah. But yeah, even, even with this, uh, with this chapter, if I, th- there's a possibility that this, I, I know he knows about us potentially, but there's a possibility that Scott, Scott Swain, he's the president of Reformed Theological Seminary on, in, in Orlando. And mm-hmm. there's a rumor that he doesn't do podcasts. Um, okay. So I've talked to a couple of publishers and there's a rumor he doesn't do podcasts until I saw a link like two weeks, two months ago that he did do a podcast with somebody um, hmm. and I've, I've followed them. So, and I, I think they actually follow us too. mere orthodoxy. Um, he's okay. been on them to talk about the Trinity. So Scott Swain are those who know him. If you're out there, we're, we're looking at you. <laughs> we're, we're, we're pointing our finger at you and say, Hey man, you got to come on our show soon. You, you're, yeah. you got some good stuff here. We, we want you on our show, but all joking aside, it's, it's a, it's a great chapter. <clears throat> and if you're thinking, new covenant theologies like are they just talking about like new things that are coming up and we say yeah we actually that's precisely what this is talking about it's it's new covenantal formulations it's a new way of seeing a lot of these things a lot of them have to do with new books that were published in the last like 15 or so years but also new developments and kind of dispensational thought too um so if you heard dr van drunen's episode on dispensationalism you yeah. kind of want to think of this chapter as building off of last chapter, um, as building off of dispensationalism, because it takes a lot of thoughts and like hermeneutical stuff. So how they read scripture from dispensationalism and combines it a little bit with covenant theology. So if you want to like wrap your mind around like what new covenant theologies are these kind of think of ways of reading um, discontinuity between the two testaments with also reading continuity um, covenantally. And so we'll explain some of that stuff as we get into this. And I, I thought Scott Swin's chapter was fantastic on this. Um, it was, it was rough. It was kind of academic, but I think he laid out the, laid out the land pretty well. Yeah. He's a great writer. I mean, I've read, he's a very, other- yeah, he's a very strong writer. Yeah, I've read some of his other stuff. And even though his content is extremely academic and heavy, he does the best you possibly can with that content to make it easy to absorb. Yeah. The, um, and, and relatable and understanding. Um, he uses some key terms and phrases that I'll point out uh, yep. at, during this episode that kind of just like, oh, yeah, as a lay person, I'm like, I, I understand now kind of bridging that gap, like, right? Yep. Like what we do. Yep. So. Um, 
with that said, I, I think also we, uh, and you alluded to it is like building off of the dispensationalism episode is this is kind of like, I feel like a broader explanation in yeah. a good way of yeah. new covenant theologies where dispensationalism might've been like one, one of those yep. uh, new covenant theologies. And this one kind of takes maybe a broader 10,000 foot view and uh, talks about all the new covenant theologies uh, dispensationalism could be like included into that. And then how it compares and contrasts with reformed. Yep. Yeah. Um, the basics there. And I think there's some uh, um, terminology that we should clarify on the front yeah. end for this. Um, and I think, because as I was reading this chapter, I was thinking, I think the audience needs to, this will be helpful for them to know. Yeah. Orient uh, themselves around terms. the language of this. Yeah. Cause there is, I don't, Personally, when I'm reading this, I, I had to remind myself, I mean, anytime he says new covenant, yeah, that didn't necessarily mean the same thing as new covenant theologies. Yeah, so, exactly. Yep. So new covenant, we know what the new covenant is. It's reformed and new covenant theologies all know what the new covenant is. Yeah. New covenant theologies is focused on uh, the uh, like some, different strands of thought on yeah. how you put the testaments together. and. We'll get yeah. into it, especially speaking, and Dr. Dr. Swain really focused on this, especially around the moral law. And so New Covenant theologies are really focused on how do we interpret and include the moral law. So you can kind of think the Ten Commandments, um, the laws in Exodus and stuff in Leviticus. How do we understand those laws in relation to the New Covenant? Um, yeah. that's, that's a big point of disagreement is maybe one word but also discussion between um, new covenant theologies. So, and he'll, he'll, we'll, we'll talk about some of the, the major characters in this in relationship to how the reformed see the threefold use of the law. And so that tends to be where some of the, the biggest discussions come around this, this topic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he goes back and forth talking about new covenant and old covenant. So yep. I want you guys to understand uh, what old covenant means so could you clarify that yeah and so he he gives a a couple i mean a couple of various definitions and he uses them differently in some aspects but in general old covenants it is not saying law necessarily old covenant is the promise of a savior to come in the old covenants and that is broken off into two ways there can be the 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 um the covenants of works within the old covenant that is pointing towards the savior to come who will fulfill the covenant of works. But there's also the covenant of grace in the old covenant, but it's the old covenant because it's pointing towards the new covenant, which is both a promise of, and then fulfilled in the personal work of Jesus Christ. So the old covenant, new covenant is just distinguished when Dr. Swain talks about it within reformed covenant theology, he distinguishes them between pointing towards and being fulfilled in Christ, not discontinuity in the sense that they're two different covenants. They're just one is before the advent of Christ. So old covenants up until John the Baptist. And then one is after and fulfilled in the personal work of Jesus Christ, the new covenant, because we see the new covenants in very seed form in Genesis 315 
with the promise that the uh, seed of the woman will crush the head of the seed of the serpent. You see it developed in Abraham. You see it further developed in David uh, with some bits and pieces of covenant works. And you see even further developed in the, in the latter prophets, especially Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36 and 37, when it says, I will place the law in their heart. They will no longer have to have a teacher. Um, he's talking about this one to come who's going to expand the borders of the church. And we see that fulfilled in Christ. And that indistinguished between the covenant of works, uh, which is the one that requires obedience from those that he gives this covenant to. But what he's saying too, and this, again, this is where we kind of differ from new covenant theologies is new covenant theology. And we'll talk about some of these actors in a sec. We'll take the old covenant and see new covenant technically in the old Testament prophesied about, but not actually substantially in the old covenants, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. So if, you, if you're listening, it tends to be the disagreement, but, that those who are proponents um, or favorable towards new covenant theology approaches will see the new covenant definitely promised in the old Testament, but not substantially in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, old covenant is what the old Testament is talking about. Yeah. T- yeah. I mean, technically yeah i'm trying to think of how to how to nuance this maybe a little bit better but (laughs) you can think of yeah old covenant i guess is another way of talking about the old testament but i'd want to nuance that a little bit more because i think all too often old covenant is just related to law where there certainly is law in the old testament we remember if, if you guys listen to dr waters episode on law in the new testament it's definitely also in the new testament as well um so yeah i'd want to nuance a little bit more but yeah generally speaking if you look at it very broadly old covenant is old testament again very broadly yeah yeah and so in this chapter uh swain is mainly when he's talking about old covenant he's he's pretty much talking about the mosaic aspect right yeah because that's where the big that's where if there is any clarification by comparison or correction or what a lot of this differences between new covenant theology and reform is really based on like you're saying in within the mosaic law translation and and understanding yeah yeah so that's yeah so he uses it yeah sometimes it'll be more specific so really when you see somebody use a phrase or a different word, you want to figure out how are they using this contextually. And so if he's using old covenant to cover Moses, what he's not saying is the old covenant is only Moses. He's just using a various aspects right. of old covenant to cover the covenant that's made um, during Moses's ministry. Yeah. So the, um, we talked about new covenant theology as a term written, in this chapter, which is uh, NCT, the acronym, yep. there's also progressive covenantalism, yeah, which is yeah. in the acronym in this chapter, PC. Yep. Um, so could you please just kind of brief, briefly describe how NCT and PC differ? Yeah, so I'm, I'm looking through. So NCT, again, it tends to be an NCT. He really kind of goes into it on page 555. Um, mm-hmm. right in the middle. So he goes through some of these terms. 
Um, and so there's this little little blurb, this um, the second paragraph <coughs> under New Covenant Theologies. Well, in the, the first sentence, it says, New Covenant Theologies here, a common theological foundation in the biblical exegesis of New Testament scholars such as D.A. Carson, Douglas Moon, Peter T. O'Brien, with Carson's exegesis of Matthew's Sermon on the Mount, providing what is perhaps the cornerstone of this foundation. Uh, and then it also goes some through some kind of what we have, what we share commitment wise with new covenant theologies. And so he uses some things with new covenant theology that we can share. So as we as reformed um, confessional Christians, we can share some of these commitments. I want to, I want to like, I want to lift up the shared commitments we have with um, new covenant theologies first. And one yeah. is we both see a unity and he talks about this in the in the top of 556 we both see continuity between god's unfolding purpose in history so if you listen to last week's episode on dispensationalism one of the big differences we have with those are, who are more um consistently dispensational is we see a unity between israel and the church they would see a disunity between israel and the church but with New Covenant theologies, we actually see relatively the same thing between Israel and the church. Though we would want to nuance that a little bit when it comes to baptism um, and technically the Lord's Supper um, and a little bit of church membership. Overall, we see a lot of unity with New Covenant theology. So we, we'd see God working the same way with Israel as he does the church in both Old and New Testaments. Um, and also, I like this too. And if you guys listen to um sm baugh dr baugh's episode on um like kingdom in the covenants like kingdom theology he also talks about that being a shared uh that being a shared commitment between new covenant theologies and reformed theology right in the middle it says using language common to reformed covenant theology um this also describes the unity of god's unfolding purpose under the categories of kingdom and covenant and progressive covenantalism would also share this with us as well. And a big example of this, and I read this book last year, um, just to know kind of the stuff that they, that they would talk about, but kingdom through covenant is a book written by Peter Gentry and Stephen Wellam. Uh, and this is kind of representational and it's a well-known book and kind of reformed leading Baptist circles. It's a well-known book. Uh, talking about how do they read the covenants throughout the Testament. Um, so that's, that's, that's kind of um, baseline the unity that we have. And so we'd also see that that last or the second to last full paragraph on 556, we would see much more unity across old and new covenants um, as, as they would see as well. So this is second, the fundamental unity of God saving purpose across redemptive history leads new covenant theologies to view the contrast between old and new covenants as relative rather than absolute, which is technically a little bit less continuity than we would see. So we would see absolute continuity between both and mm -hmm. the contrastiveness being what Dr. Van Druden talked about last week. How much more has this been fulfilled today? Versus there's a little tiny bit less with the new covenant theologies, uh, mm -hmm. which goes to the big difference between um, progressive covenantalism, which he, I think he defines well, progressive covenantalism 
doesn't mean liberal covenantalism. doesn't mean progressive in the theological sense. It means progressive in the sense that they see progression from mm-hmm. Old to New Testament. Uh, and so we would see the same stuff. We would see organic progression between Old and New Testament. Again, he's not talking about liberal covenantalism. He's talking about progressive in the sense that Revelation unfolds progressively between Old and New Testament. But the big difference, so I talked about some of our shared commitments. The big difference is we would see um, a continuity with the law between Old New Testament and the law stays the same between Old New Testament. So we'd see that threefold use. And you guys have heard, probably heard this from us before. So we see the threefold use being the moral, the civil, and the judicial. The moral or the, the civil and the judicial has been fulfilled in Christ. Yep. That's being like the Israel specific, the theocracy specific. So think of when David's a king in Israel, that's a theocracy. They're yep. being run by the law, both on a governmental level, but also on a church level. They're indistinguishable in David's time, but that's for a time. But now we still see the moral laws, the through lines, the thing, 10 commandments from Exodus 20 being in seed form with Adam, the commandment um, to Adam, do not eat this tree in seed form that through that in this moment, not being fulfilled. They're still waiting for the one who does fulfill the law on their behalf, but we still see the moral law today as a big part of our covenant theology. And you guys heard this, the covenant of works, that's where the big break is. We still see the covenant of works in play today because Paul talks about it. Jesus talks about it. Jesus with the rich young ruler, um, not in a parable, but in, in Matthew 19, talks to the rich young ruler and he tells him, do this and live. Do all this that you've told me and live. And it's shocking because the rich young ruler is like, I did it. And Jesus is like, are you sure? And he kind of nuances it more and says, have you given your money to those that are in need? And then the rich young ruler is like, and he, that's when he says he walks away because he does not want to part away from his money. Um, so we see a continuity between the, the covenant of works. And that's the big difference amongst other things that we'll get into. But that's a big difference we'll see between new covenant theologies and progressive. And so the last thing I'll say on this uh, and then, and Nick, what, whatever you have on this too, is in the middle of 557, he goes through this big difference. And it, again, it, it revolves around our, our understanding of the Mosaic Covenant. That's, that's a big break between a lot of these covenant theologies, is how we see the Mosaic. And they'll see it, um, and it says, number one, because they view the Mosaic Covenant as an indivisible whole. They reject the traditional threefold division of mosaic stipulations into moral, civil, and ceremonial. You can also kind of think of judicial uh, as that as well. And consistent with the previous judgment, New Covenant theologies do not regard the Ten Commandments as a mosaic expression of God's unchanging moral law for human beings at all times and at all places. And a, a sentence later, it says, although the Ten Commandments no longer bind the New Covenant community as a covenant, the Ten Commandments are instructive for the New Covenant community as Scripture, so they still use it, but they don't see it the same way we do. So that, that's that's a long way of saying those are the continuities between us and uh, some definition be- between those two approaches in Reformed Covenant theology. 
but also some discontinuity between those three approaches. Mm. Yeah, that's a lot of good stuff. There was a <laughs> yeah. few things it's, I wanted to. <laughs> to it's hard to, to say that short, but it's it's because it's yeah. so nuanced between us. But yeah, if you think of continuity, we see progressive revelation that's shared between us. But what's mm. big as a difference is how do you see the law? Yep. Yeah, uh, the episode Mosaic Covenant with R. Scott Clark this yep. season, really good. If after this episode, you guys want to go back and re-listen to that, that might yep. help for clarity. Um, a, f- a few things that helped me in this chapter was him talking about, let's see, um, how the Ten Commandments were written by the finger of God on tablets of stone and put in the... Uh, the Ark of the Covenant, right? Yeah. And yeah. then now, now the those Ten Commandments are written on our hearts. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So. And that's and there's a debate on Jeremiah 31 on when it says written on our hearts, we no longer need teachers. And Dr. Van Drunen in class, I think, nuanced this really well. So Jeremiah 31 is fulfilled in Christ. It's both in substance in the Old Testament. But it's yep. actually pointing us to glorification. It's pointing us to when the law will truly be in our hearts and we don't need a mediator any longer because we'll be in glory with Christ. But now we still need the mediator because he's the one who still fulfills the covenant on our, on our behalf. But in heaven, we'll be perfect. We will yep. be with the perfect one and we will actually no longer need a teacher because we'll be perfect. So Jeremiah 31 is both kind of looking towards now as a time that it's fulfilled in full, but we're still waiting for the full effects of this fulfillment in glory. Yeah. Jeremiah 31 has that already, but not yet element of eschatology, Um, which that tends to be, again, it tends to be a big difference with Baptist covenant theologies and reformed covenant theologies with Baptist. They will, I mean, again, it's broadly speaking, though generally in um, new covenant theology is, is big on this too they'll generally see Jeremiah 31 as fulfilled in full now mm-hmm. um, where yeah. that's, that's why they see the church as just the righteous as just those who profess faith versus reformed covenant theology sees the church as the mixed community. Um, Baptists tend to see the, the church as the pure community because they've seen, mm. they, they say that that covenant has been fully fulfilled now. So the church has to mirror what's happened already versus we say, no, we're, we're still a mixed community. Jeremiah 31 has been fulfilled, but we're still waiting for its full effects to come. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And outside reform theology, I think the common theme is that uh, other theologies would be trying to say that all of the mosaic covenant still applies today. Yeah. Um, yeah. A, yeah or, a lot of it. Yeah. It tends to go that, that route or, or none of it at all does. So it's, it, yeah. they, they go extremes on two levels where we're more in the middle where we're, we're saying, no, the moral law still applies. The 10 yep. commandments of the law is still written on our hearts led by, you know, by by the spirit and yeah, we're that's already what Paul says in Romans one. Well, Christ has already claimed victory. We are yep. already we already won and we're waiting for that final, you know, like when your team in football wins the Super Bowl. 
yeah. and they already, they already won, but you haven't had that, that parade yet. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're still the Super Bowl champions, but yeah. your, your team hasn't had that uh, glorious celebration parade yet. So our, you know, this is like a really lame <laughs> explanation, but we've already won through Christ. We haven't been 100% fulfilled in everything that the Bible talks about yet, yeah. even though we are already claimed victory. Um, so I think some outside of reformed theology makes maybe, uh, too much of a premature or too much of a delayed assumption. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's true. And I actually, I posted up a a quote on Twitter, um, yesterday night and it was from Michael Horton, who we both hold near and dear to our hearts. And it's one of my professors, (laughs) but it actually, it actually talks about this is that there's no future aspect to justification itself. So we can kind of think of like this fulfillment aspect in justification. Yeah. A believer has already heard the verdict of the last judgment. So we've already heard the victory, the imputation of righteousness, the full obedience of Christ that has been applied to our accounts absolutely perfectly and unmovably. But then he says, glorification is the final real realization, not of our justification itself, but of its effects. So that's, mm. that goes to what you're saying too, where it's already been declared to us in the courtroom of God. And we're waiting for the future, not of its, of its actual um, verdicts, but of the results of the verdicts. Yeah. The down, a lot the, of this fulfillment language, we have to think, okay, has this been filled already right now? Or are we waiting for the effects of this fulfillment? Or are we waiting for the full fil- fulfillment later on? So that's where a lot of these nuances come between new covenant theologies and reformed covenant theology. Yeah. Uh, the, the Holy spirit acts as the down payment of victory. He, yeah. As a, as a King, you know how they have those wax stamps yep. of on a letter. Yep. That is like our souls have that stamp of, from the King, yep. you know, yep. saying that, that we belong to him. Um, yep. And I think that goes into a great little explanation. I, I, uh, one of many things I highlighted here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so we're talking about, um, yeah, reformed and new covenant theologies have much in common. We kind of talked about that, but there's also differing key respects, particularly to the nature of sanctification and the church. Yeah. Um, and what that really is, is, how we sanctification, how we're growing in the Holy spirit, becoming more like Christ while we're here on earth yeah. and the church and uh, the church's role and identity. Yep. Yeah. And that's, <clears throat> that goes to um, what I was talking about before on the nature and the purpose of the church, the continuity of the law. How does the law actually play a role in the Christian life? And so that's where we, we, we would again differ We'd see some similarity where some continuity with, with new covenant theologies, especially as it relates to our justification. A lot of them see justification the same way we do, um, but they don't see the law playing a role in our sanctification. They'll generally see, again, this is a broad brush. If you're listening, I'm painting a broad brush on other covenant theologies. I know this is not true for every strand, but again, a broad brush where tends to be sanctification is related more towards kind of this um, this less defined role in like growing in holiness. Uh, we're not like terribly sure how does this actually play out. 
you just know I'm becoming more and more like Christ. Uh, and it's because there, there tends to be a lack of language around the law on our continuity, our cohesion, our obedience to the law. We're reformed covenant theology. And I think Dr. Dr. Swain does just a, I mean, just does a fantastic, a perfect job um, of explaining how some of this stuff relates to us. Um, and so uh, later, later on in uh, 559, right before the place of the covenant, new covenant and reformed covenant theology, um, that last paragraph before that new section, right in the middle, he says, when it comes to the meaning and significance of the new covenant within God's unfolding kingdom, the question at stake between new covenant theologies and reformed covenant theology concerns the shape of the moral life and the character of the covenant community. So it goes through some of these aspects of sanctification. That's what, what kind of launches him into an uh, explanation of Jeremiah 31. And we see sanctification not as a different growth from justification, but as the effects that play out from our justification as the law that has been fulfilled on our behalf is no longer a burden, but it's not the thing that we get to follow because it's, it is the very character of God that has been um, established for us. That has been shown for us, which is the moral law, which is the character of God. It's like, it, it, it is who he is. He is, he is perfect. Therefore he has given us his 10 commandments. He's given us the moral law as a reflection of his perfection. And so we still, we, because God is, God, he will, he will never change. The moral law doesn't change because that's exactly a representation of who God is. And so our sanctification is our, both our obedience to the law, but not as it relates to our standing in justification, but we are conformed more towards obedience to the law. So we actually have yeah. a guideway. We actually have a pathway where it is the law instead of some kind of weird, like Christian walk where we're not really sure where our holiness comes from. We yeah. see our sanctification as walking really, truly in obedience to the law, no longer as it condemns us, but as it shows us God's perfection. Yeah. And I, I don't know if this was uh, Swain's uh, attempt in the chapter, but he made me have really extra good assurance. Yeah. Exactly. I know it I wasn't. Think, yeah. It does lead to that for sure. Uh, it does. Yeah. Even though this chapter was talking about the comparison of new covenant theologies and reform, his com uh, clarity through comparison yeah. made me feel even more like how great our assurance is yeah. in the of Christ's victory, because sanctification is a result of justification. Mm -hmm. And, and after you've been justified and claimed God's child, and saved by his son, Jesus, you grow in through sanctification, which is the, the law, the law is not condemning anymore. It's more, um, it's more pointing us towards yeah. holiness. Yeah. And yeah. It no longer condemns us. It shapes us. It shapes us. And personally, I mean, I, I know this probably goes for every Christian, but the law to me reminds me that I'm a sinner yep. in a good way Yeah, that it humbles me being like, Oh my gosh, thankfully Christ saved me. I yep. don't deserve it. And I feel humbled when I look at yep. the law um, because yeah. I'm in yeah. Christ. Yeah. Yeah. For a believer, it humbles us yeah. towards Christ for a non-believer. It condemns them towards yep. Christ. 
Yep. Beautiful. And I, I like that going back to the very beginning of this chapter, such a great quote here that he says, covenant is not the principal theme of Christian theology. And we're like, oh my gosh, what? Like we've been talking about <laughs> yeah, covenant theology up. this whole time. Hold on. But, but he says that that distinction belongs to the doctrine of God alone, the Alpha and Omega. Beautiful. I love that because before we can really grasp and understand covenant theology, which is how God relates to people and talks to us through his governance, we need to know who God is. Yeah. And that goes back to the RC. If you want to insert this clip of RC Sproul, <laughs> that yeah. is the problem with the church today. When he says, what's wrong with you people? The problem with the church today is we don't know who God is and we don't know who we are. Yeah. yeah. So we need to know that first and then covenants make more sense because then yeah. we know he is the creator and perfect and we are creation and need him. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah, we need, we need to know God and then how he has structured history and he structured history by covenants. Yes. Yes, sir. Oh, another part that's cool too, is he says, uh, when we talk about continuity versus discontinuity, mm-hmm. uh, discontinuity would be saying the difference between a dog and a cat. Yep. <laughs> continuity is a puppy's yipe and a dog's bark. Yeah, I love dog- that. Yeah, that was <laughs> that was that was brilliant. That was a that was a that was a brilliant comparison and a and a contrast. Yeah. And if you guys want to know where that is, actually, I I highlighted one portion. So right in the he middle, he talks about five, it a couple times. Yeah, right in the middle of five sixty two, he kind of he, he he really gets into this this great little uh, analysis, this little symbolism um, metaphor for it. <laughs> he says, um, uh, right before. For the paragraph before the place of the new covenant and reformed covenant theology, uh, that last sentence of that second to last paragraph says the yelp of the puppy is replaced by the bark of the dog because puppies are designed to become dogs. Yeah. Versus you don't have a puppy becoming a cat. Yep. Yeah. I've never heard that uh, analogy before, but it really helped. It was good. (laughs) Yeah, it was. That was great. We like puppies. So um, we we could talk a little bit about more things, but I think what it really bases this off of is when it talks about the Mosaic covenant in the Old Testament, we're really focusing on that that moral law has continuity to the new covenant, but the civil uh, and judicial um, is, has been fulfilled in Christ. Yeah. Unless you have, uh, anything else, um, in here, there's more to talk about. I hope that we have uh, hit the main points yeah. for you guys, but yeah. there is, um, some really good reminders. I think if you get to page 569, it really talks about, um, the worry from the perspective of reformed covenant theology is that the new covenant theology suffer from an over-realized eschatology yeah. when it comes, <laughs> comes to communal implications of Jeremiah's new covenant promises. Yeah. And this is the stuff we covered. There's, there's a section in this that talks about Jeremiah 31 as it relates mm-hmm. to the new covenants uh, and the, and the church. And so we, we dove into this, this little bit, so maybe I can, I, I can talk about this a little bit, tiny bit more and we can, we can move on to the end, but mm-hmm. it all revolves around how do we see 
Jeremiah 31 and the new covenant community. And I, I previewed this a little bit is Jeremiah 31. When it talks about the law being on our hearts, is it talking about the church now or is it talking about the church glorified? Yep. This is a big thing with the covenant community. It's, it tends to be, if you are a new covenant theologian and you lean Baptist, it tends to be read this as true of the community now. That this is true, the law being written on our hearts is true right now. And we see that displayed in the covenant community being a quote-unquote a pure community, a non-mixed community made up of just believers. What that's not saying, and I'll nuance this, and I'll, I'll kind of provide an apologetic for our Baptist brothers, that's, that's not saying that there aren't false believers in the covenant community, but membership of the covenant community is only composed of baptized communing members, regardless of, and they'll, they'll admit as readily as we will, that there are false professors in the church who say that they're a Christian, but are, are actually not. But the idea is a pure church, which means you only exclusively baptized um, believers, those who profess faith. So it's a non-mixed community in that sense. And that's because they, that's, that's, that's how you read Jeremiah 31. It tends to revolve around Jeremiah 31 and where's the promise true of the law being on, written on our hearts. And we don't need teachers that that tends to be how it's placed in the covenant community, how it forms the covenant community and how we see Christ fulfilling and being the ultimate representation, the, uh, the ultimate fulfillments of the new covenant in the old Testament versus how reformed community, how reformed covenant community would read Jeremiah 31. We see this, not just promise like truly fulfilled where we we have the verdicts of jeremiah 31 but jeremiah 31 is actually pointing past us it's pointing towards glorification it's pointing towards truly when it won't just be a pure community where we're we we have those who are believers but also those who are non-believers in the church even though they profess faith but Glory will be only and exclusively those who've redeemed, who've been redeemed and made perfect by Christ, where there is no um, false professors in glory. There aren't those who profess the name of Christ, but are not actually Christians, who are not actually made perfect by the blood of Jesus. So we see Jeremiah 31 is actually pointing towards the future, towards glory, because we see that effectively speaking, we see the same community now in reformed Presbyterian churches as Baptists do. But our difference is we obviously we baptize babies as part of the covenant, their entrance into the covenant community. And so there are some babies who, as they grow up, will not confess the name right. of Christ. There are those yep. who will be part of um, the community that Hebrews 6 talks about, that they've tasted the glory of Christ. They've, they may have partaken of the Lord's Supper, even though they're not true believers, they have heard the gospel in a, on a consistent basis, on a week-to-week basis, been part of the covenant community, but then they separate from the covenant community. So that's where Hebrews 6 comes in. Is they've tasted of the glory to come. They've tasted of the promise that they do not themselves profess the promise. We technically see the same community, community as our Baptist brothers do, where they will readily admit there are those who are part of the community who profess Christ who are not actually of Christ. We see the same thing but it's because infants have been baptized into the, the visible community, not the invisible community. They've been baptized into the visible community. 
those that we can see. And the profession, as far as we can tell, introduces them to the invisible community. Same kind yeah, of thing yeah. with Baptist brothers, but Baptist brothers and sisters. But we look at Jeremiah 31 as both true of the current community, but it's our hope for the future community versus a little bit more realized eschatology from Baptist brothers where no, that community is here and now we still have something to look forward to. Yeah. There's people that are in the new covenant, but not of the new covenant. And so uh, you are in the new covenant when you're, we see it as baptized because we, as parents are believing parents will do (laughs) everything that we're called to, to uh, welcome them into our covenant church community try to raise them as a Christian, teach them about the Bible, introduce them to the gospel, do all yep. those things that God calls us to do. But salvation is up to God and God alone for that individual. And we as parents, for sure, as a parent, I know this, I pray constantly that our children and my child is going to be saved. Uh, ultimately, we do everything we can on uh, edification and showing them the right way to worship as we can. So they get a taste and yeah. they, they welcomed in, but uh, until they confess faith and they can take communion there, we don't know if they're of the new covenant. Yep. Yep. So, um, but yeah, th- all this stuff, uh, there's also this uh, next part that I'd like to read. Yeah. That I think is really cool. Um, and it is from first Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. Mm-hmm. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then, and only then will we see face to face without mediation. So that is uh, more of a, like already and not yet too. Right. So we, we already have a view of how glorious through the church, uh, through the church, how glorious God's kingdom is, but it's like a uncleaned kind of scuffed up window. And when we yeah. are in heaven and it's, it's all, everything's done, um, we will see God face to face and he sees yep. us as he sees Jesus, his son, which is mind blowing. And we don't deserve that, but he <coughs> saved us. Um, yeah, so I can't yeah. wait. I can't wait. Yeah. And, and I think Dr. Swain puts this in a succinct, um, easy to, to digest way and on page 567, and he talks about this, and there's a paragraph kind of in the middle of that first full paragraph from 557, um, the top. It says, more specifically, Reformed Covenant theology agrees that in the New Covenant, God brings about the existence of a wholly regenerate covenant community that no longer requires human intermediary, so, so a mediator between us, other than the incarnate mediator of the, of the New Covenants between God and his people, But he says it disagrees with New Covenant theologies and progressive covenantalism regarding the timing. So we both believe that the community will be made perfect, absolutely perfect, as Jeremiah 31 promises. But we differ on when this is true. And as he goes on to say, which indicates that the New Covenant community will only realize Jeremiah 31's promised ideal in the new heaven and new earth when the triune God dwells among his people and it reaches its fullest and most transformative expression. And then after that, he talks a little bit more about how this is realized 
today. And again, this goes into why we see a difference between baptism, between us and uh, Baptists, where they'll look at the discontinuity between Israel as a mixed people. Their church was mixed in the old covenants. They had those because they circumcised who eventually fell away from the faith. So it was a mixed community in the old covenants. We see the same continuity in our, in our community today where we have a mixed community. We have a community that both professes Christ and those that were waiting to profess Christ where they see a discontinuity. They see a mixed community in the old covenants and an unmixed community in the new covenants. So again, we see a little bit more continuity between the Testaments. They see a little bit less continuity, which again revolves around our understanding of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Where for us, baptism is the integration, the acceptance into the new covenant community, into the church. The Lord's Supper as their profession that they're part of the invisible church. So think of baptism for us as Reformed Covenant theologians. Baptism is the entrance into the visible church. The Lord's Supper is your entrance into the invisible church. Oh, I like that. For yeah. Baptist, it tends to be again. Baptism is entrance into both. Right. And and the, and then they'll they'll uh state that they do baby baptism or baby dedications. Yeah. Yeah. Which they don't so, see that as a sacrament. They see that as as something for the community to look forward to and kind of gather around versus we see baptism as a sacrament. It is a sacrament of the church as well as the Lord's Supper. Yep. Um, and so they're hopefully that hopefully that helps kind of orient people around how do we see the Jeremiah 31? How do we see the Mosaic covenant? Some of these, these various differences between us and, and, um, and we're not saying that there are adversaries. We're just saying we, we read some of these oh. things slightly differently than they do. It, it, could it be kind of like for some weird reason, if you watched only the end of a movie and you know how everything is that last scene is, is, and we all agree and we see that last scene of a movie, but we have different ideas of how it gets up to that scene. Yeah, and we're just right, so there's that too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you you all know that's that's kind of tongue in cheek. Yeah, totally. But I mean, well, hopefully, yeah, we'll see each other in heaven, and we could talk about it. And then yeah, maybe our Baptist point, brothers will be in heaven too. You never know. They will. They will. And then, uh, <laughs> so no, this is actually a good segue to yeah. this last part in the, the chapters debate. He talks. I love how he kind of talks about how debate is really healthy and good and yeah uh as we await full revelation of things now hidden to be and we uh to pilgrims and sojourners theological debate remains a sanctifying force for theology serves to clarify correct improve our fluency of biblical interpretation debate can help us become more faithful disciples of jesus christ uh, main points of debate between New Covenant theologies and Reformed Covenant theology. It's a place of the New Covenant in God's un, uh, God's unfolding kingdom. So we have much in common, but also differ in key respects. And then yeah. uh, he does wrap up the episode, uh, episode. We wrap up the episode. He <laughs> wraps up the chapter yeah. talking about a quote uh, from John Calvin, him reflecting 
Yeah, that was good. Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31. Do you want to read that whole section of, from John Calvin? Yeah, sure. So he, um, he, he ends this after talking about the visible, invisible covenant community and this little section on overrealized, which I can end on too. But this little quote, and it's, it's Calvin's response to the teaching of Jeremiah 31. So it says, Grant, Almighty God, that as thou hast favored us with so singular a benefit as to make through thy son a covenant, which has been ratified for our salvation, O grant that we become partakers of it and know that thou art so speakest with us that thou not only has shew us or shown us by the word what is right, but speaks also to us inwardly by the spirit. And thus it renders us teachable and obedience that there may be an evidence of our adoption and a proof that he will govern us and rule us until we shall be really and fully united to thee through Christ our Lord. And he ends with amen. So it's amen. As we, as we end this, it's, is our, is our eschatology shaped by the word? Are we expecting too much? And it's not bad to expect too much, but we're, are we looking for too much fulfillment now? Though the verdicts and the promise is sure and secured and visible today. Are we expecting everything right now? And is that what the Bible tells us? Or is it saying, no, you've already been given it. It's already been secured. Here's the covenant community, but there's still more yet to come in glory. Yeah, he's still, it, it's victory's been claimed, but he, I think he still has more sheep to gather until yeah. every last soul he's predestined to belong to him. Um, until every last soul is collected, um, we still move forward with the church, preach the gospel, mm-hmm. uh, and preach the gospel and die and be forgotten <laughs> until, <laughs> exactly, until yep. we, until, until we are all in heaven together. And he's rescued literally every single sheep, every yep. single soul. Yeah. So yeah, one day this podcast will be long and forgotten, but in glory, nobody will remember guilt, grace, gratitude, but that is perfectly okay. And I, I, I cannot wait for the day when that happens. Maybe we can reflect on it or talk about it in heaven that we <laughs> got to. It was been recurring, like a recurring loop in heaven. No, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, it's going to be, we, there's going to be so much better things, but I'm just saying, uh, yeah, totally. I'm, I'm sh- we can reflect on uh, our earthly life of sanctification. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, uh, that kind of thing. So, yeah. So, Anyway. Yeah, hope, hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode and we helped we helped uh, break down some of these new covenant theologies and, and how they differ, how they how they uh, confirm the same things we confirm. But there's also a little bit of in-house disagreement again, in-house disagreement, not outside of the, the faith disagreements. Um, so hopefully we helped a little bit with that. And finally, the, the long awaited episode with Dr. Glad will come out next week, next Monday. So this comes oh, yeah. out on December 6th. You guys will finally hear Dr. Glad's episode on December 13th, and he'll talk about covenants in New Testament scholarship. It's going to share a little tiny bit in its substance when we talk to Dr. Waters on Paul and covenant, because there's, there's a little bit of crossover in those two, but we're, we're excited for that. We, we will come out with some other stuff later on, but just to give you guys a sneak little preview, right before we recorded this, we, we talked a little bit about season four. And what we're doing with season four. So you guys can you guys can look forward to that, what we're doing with season four. Some big stuff we have coming with with book club, some other things that we're adding on. So we'll we'll have an episode to to talk about this sometime in January. Um, mm-hmm. so you guys have that to look forward to on on what's coming up next. But yeah, we're we're 
we'll fit as strong with season three. We'll, we'll, we'll say that we'll have, we'll have mm-hmm. Dr. Glad on new Testament scholarship. Then we'll have Adriel Sanchez for mm-hmm. covenant and assurance. And we're pretty darn sure what our last episode will be. And I'm pretty sure I can say it because we confirmed no. we just haven't gotten a date yet is we'll have Dr. Michael Horton for the last episode of the season. Why covenant theology? He's a perfect guy for this because he actually comes from dispensationalism and then came to covenant theology while he was in seminary. Um, so we're going to end this, end the season on bang. Back to back to back bangers. I, I mean, know these guys are like, Dr. Glad on New New Testament, Adriel Sanchez is a pastor, but also he's the the host of Core Christianity, which is a great Mm -hmm. podcast. And then we get Dr. Horton to end this all out. Yeah, it'd be like watching your favorite baseball team hit three home runs in a row. So hopefully. And then, uh, (laughs) and and so uh, next week we will be glad and, (laughs) and, and he will be Ben glad. (laughs) <laughs> that's right and so yeah. as as we i, I like I, i'm not gonna do this I, I like the interaction we get so since we couldn't get dr suede on for this episode if you're listening still to the end of this episode i want you to post a picture of dr swain on twitter or instagram and tag him and reform theological seminary orlando and say Whoa. hey man when are you coming on guilt grace gratitude in the future He's gonna be so confused. He's like, "What? Why? Why are you? Why are you quoting the Heidelberg Catechism? Uh, come on, there! Like, yeah. he's gonna be confused why you're talking about guilt, grace, gratitude. He probably yeah. doesn't even know so, who we are. So tag him <laughs> and tag us when this episode comes out because we want to get his notice. I know he's heard about us because I've I've heard through other channels that he's potentially heard about us. Nah, so please tag it. him. Because we're, we're gonna get him on one day. We want to. We want to get all these people who don't do podcasts on our podcast. So yeah, we'll we'll announce more stuff as it comes. But get excited for season four. There's some other yeah. stuff coming out. Um, yeah, some good stuff. But hope you guys enjoyed this episode, and we'll see you next week. Yep. Are you looking for reformed church in the Orange County Santa Ana area? We'll be starting our study through the Book of Judges, as well as diving into Reverend Danny Hyde's. Welcome to Reformed Church, beginning weekly on December 2nd, which is a Thursday at 6.30 p.m. at 4th Street Market in downtown Santa Ana. If you'd like updates and information on joining our core group, email us at SantaAnnaReformed at gmail.com or head to either Guilt Grace Pod or Santa Ana URC on Twitter or find the link in the show notes to learn more. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed that episode of our podcast, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude. And we, as we've said before, we are bridging the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. So we would like to make sure this is enjoyed by others around the world. And how to best do that is rate and review us on iTunes. Yeah, and you after you rate a review or instead of rate and review or doing everything all in once, retweeting us on Twitter, liking us on Twitter, liking us on Instagram, following us on both of those platforms, because that actually puts in front of people's physical face, this podcast, these guests, and most importantly, the gospel, the doctrines uh, that these guests are, are bringing in front of you guys. So please do that. It helps get in front of more people.
Amen. And hopefully you guys are part of a local church and you're tithing. And uh, after that, after tithing, if you have any means left over, please consider donating to us to make sure our bridge is well paved and maintained and strong and sturdy. As again, we bridge the gap to reform Christian <laughs> theology. Exactly. Yeah. And you guys can find that link on Anchor, our official Anchor website. If you just go on um, our social media links, it'll it'll link you to that website. It's also at the bottom of these this podcast show notes. If you're on this podcast, this specific episode, scroll all the way to the bottom of that show notes and you guys will find a link for this for three different options of donating. So we hope you guys can help us bridge the gap, pay for shipping, get nicer stuff, all for the focus of spreading the gospel further. Yep. All for the kingdom of God. Thanks so much, guys. We'll see you guys next time. <laughs>